and welcome to today's, to today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, um, I am continuing last week's lecture. So today is part two of Neville Goddard's undated lecture titled Every Natural Effect. So if you haven't listened to part one, I would recommend going back and listening to that. Or there is a link um, in the description for the PDF version of this lecture. Okay, so Neville continues to tell his audience, I do not need to go through any door to put myself in a closed room. Seal the room and I can imagine that I'm in it and I didn't open a door to go through, and I didn't break down the wall to get through. And when I depart, I didn't go through an open door, and I didn't go through by breaking down the wall. I entered without leaving any hole, and I departed without leaving any record of my entrance and departure. So a little sperm penetrates the surface of an egg, and it leaves no hole, either before or after penetration. But unless it penetrates, that egg remains just a perfect pattern of what ought to be or could be but never could or but could never by itself ever unfold. All right, I'm going to say that again. But unless it penetrates, that egg remains just a perfect pattern of what ought to be or could be but could never by itself ever unfold. It takes the sperm to penetrate it to make it unfold. And so it is Jehoshua which is the Hebraic name of Jesus. The word Jesus and the word Jehoshua are the same thing. So, he by whom Jehovah will save, and so man awaken from the dream of life. If he is a powerful man, a man like the one I spoke of earlier tonight, one who, will, who would defy the angel of the Lord, and over his protest, he still is insisting that it's not the right date, and here he's pointing to the book of God and showing him that it is. But in spite of that, he didn't sin by silence. And because he didn't sin by silence, he can be used perfectly in the stable of the Lord to actually impregnate those who have accepted the word of God and have it within them as a pattern. The perfect pattern that must one day, having been impregnated, erupt within that one and unfold within him. So I congratulate him on his accomplishments. For everyone who is awakened, if they are of that spirit, they are members of the stable of the Lord, used for impregnation, to inseminate the brides of God. For he's God. Everyone in this world is God. But as a lady wrote, she said, I wrote this letter. I don't quite understand it, but I wrote... And I was repeating, the thing is we are bifur bifurcated, bifurcated, divided beings. Well, who is a divided being but the Lord himself? The Lord and his emanation, a divided being. And out of Adam comes Eve, a divided being. And that emanation of the first. Well, here we are emanations. But now these contain the pattern of God's plan of salvation. And it has to be. I would say fructified, fertilized. And may I tell you, it seems strange in this world to make these statements. But I know from experience that they're true. I know how we play these parts after we have been awakened from the dream of life. One man is twice born. 
and he's born from above. If he's out of that school, that spirit, that you re-enter like a serpent. If you go up in this small little way like this, that's not it. But when you go up as though you are a bolt of spiral lightning and you vibrate the entire skull and you're still vibrating it, trying to get out, and finally you subside, that's the power it can use. And that's the one he uses in the fertilization of his bride. But tonight, you test it on this level and come down to this level and try it. There's a moment in each day, and not just a moment. Every moment of time is such a moment if you have a desire. You can actually isolate that moment and then clothe yourself with the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Whatever that wish is, until you actually feel all the tones of reality. All the things that you would normally feel were true. Now, don't forget that moment. That moment is productive. And in its own good time, that moment will appear in this world properly clothed as an objective fact. If it takes the whole vast world to aid its birth, it will take the whole vast world. If it takes an army of men to bring it to pass, an army of men, it doesn't really matter. You don't have to guide it. All you have to do is simply do it and then let it alone as you would put a seed into the ground, confident that it would grow. Well, so you simply drop this, knowing what you did so that you aren't surprised when it happens in your world. So you want to be a man of wealth? All right, assume that you're a man of wealth. Not that it has any purpose in this world other than that you desired it, because the man of wealth and the poor man are the same being. The poor state, the wealthy state, are only states. The man who occupies the poor state is an individual that never ceases to be that individual. But if he falls into the state of poverty, well then you call him a poor man. But he doesn't differ from the man who falls into the state of wealth. For the man in the state of wealth, he is not any better. He has money, lots of money. If he is a fabulously wealthy person, but that doesn't put him in a spiritual sense beyond the man that is poor. But the man that is poor doesn't know he could get out of the state of poverty. All these are states, infinite states, and man blindly falls into states. If he knows they're only states and he dislikes the state he's in, he'll get out of that state by now planting one of these moments. These heavenly moments by assuming that I am now secure. Security is a relative term. It may be that someone feels, well, insecure with a hundred thousand a year income. I'm quite sure that if you take any of the fabulously wealthy men of our world and say, your income as of now will be only a hundred thousand a year, they would instantly have to sell their yachts, their homes, all these things, and give up membership in certain clubs because they couldn't even pay their servants. If they had a full complement of servants in their many homes, and you said a 100000 a year, well, they'll feel poor. And the average person, if you said, you have a 100000 he would feel fabulously wealthy. So wealth is a relative term. It hasn't a thing to do with the spiritual growth of a being. None, because all these are states.
so I can put myself into any kind of state in this world. And so if I don't enjoy poverty, well then, don't get into the state. I, on the other hand, have no desire for fabulous wealth because I do not wish the responsibility of fabulous wealth and thinking about it. I can't see how anyone who is fabulously wealthy has any time whatsoever for thinking about spiritual matters. He is so concerned about his wealth, his portfolio, and he watches it morning, noon, and night. And the first thing he does in the morning, when he gets the morning paper, he turns to that section. And he reads it, as some ladies turn to the social section, and they read it, as though it really mattered. But they do it. There are some who only read the obituaries, and they make a living out of reading that and notifying all the people who are reported as dead that he knew them. I know that when my father-in-law died, he was a very prominent man in New York City. And when he died, why Mrs. Van Schmoos got unnumbered letters from people who claimed that they knew him. And he had promised them so much and that he died before he could execute his desire. Some even went so far as to print up all kinds of things and said he ordered these before he died. And then misspelled his name. Printers will send you all kinds of personal cards saying that Mr. Van Schmoos ordered these before he died. And when we saw them, why the name was misspelled. And so her lawyer said, just ignore it. Just forget it. And ignore all these requests because people make a living reading the obituary column. You'd be surprised how many fall for it. Because in that emotional moment, they are carried away. Well, if my husband did this, I wouldn't want not to make good. And so they will send off the check for what he had ordered which he didn't tell me. And so they sent off a nice $100 or $200 check for these stupid cards. And her lawyer said, just simply forget them. This happens every moment of time. Well, you can hardly believe that people live that way, but they do. You can't conceive of something in this world that someone isn't doing it. And all of these things are done in our world. So I ask you to try it. On this basis, imagining creates reality. That is my premise. And don't think for one moment you can imagine idly because the record is there. And so, as a man plants, so he's going to reap. There isn't a thing in this world that comes into your world that comes by accident. But you don't remember the moment in time when you actually did it. And so, you can't relate it to the natural effect. But the natural effect always has a spiritual cause and not a natural cause. The natural cause only seems. It is a delusion, so don't let anyone tell you that you can trace it to some physical cause. The physical cause, which is a natural cause, is not a cause. It's only an effect. All causes are spiritual, and by spiritual, I mean imaginal. For man is all imagination, and God is man, and exists in us and we in him. The eternal body of man is the imagination, and that is God himself. And God is the only source. There is no other source. In that 87th Psalm that I quoted tonight, when this one here was born here, it ends in a very lovely note. And the singers and the dancers alike said, You are our springs. There is no other spring, no other source, no other cause. Whether you be the dancer or the singer of the world, you are our springs. We have no other source. 
so the only source of all causation is found in our springs. We have no other source. So the only source of all causation is found in man, as man's own wonderful human imagination. So you take it to heart and then you never can pass the buck. You can't blame anyone in this world for anything that happens to you. There isn't one in the world you can turn to and say, well, now you are the cause of it. Don't let anyone turn to you and say that. If they do, just ignore it, because they're bringing it in into their own world by what they imagine morning, noon, and night. So one sits down to imagine unlovely things of another, unlovely things of a group. Well, then they're going to simply produce it, not in the group, but in themselves. So you go home and live it. Live it as that lady, by her vision, tells me she's living it. Because a little shaggy dog was in the water. Her faith is in the psychological knowledge of these stories. I only ask her not just to continue drinking water. As you're told in the book of Timothy, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your many affirmities. So it's good to know what to do, but we are the orphan power, and therefore we must do it. Not just know what to do, but we must do it. So when I do it, I stop drinking the water, and I drink wine. Because the minute I begin to apply it, I'm using wine. But if I know what to do, but don't do it, well, I have the water, but I'm not turning it into wine. So let everyone here practice it, and put it into a daily practice. And may I tell you, it cannot fail you. It cannot fail you. Now let us go into the silence. And then Neville does ask uh, the audience for questions. Uh, there are only a couple of them, but the questions are actually inaudible, um, despite uh, his answers um, being legible. So I'm not going to read the question and answer section because, again, the questions are um, inaudible. So that is the end of Neville Goddard's uh, lecture, and again, it's undated. Don't know what year he gave this lecture, but that is part two of Every Natural Effect. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. I will see you guys in the next one, and have a wonderful day.